The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. We're in week three of this series called United We Stand. And uh, I want to um, encourage you and actually thank many of you uh, for signing up to uh, participate in our Easter fast. We're, we're kind of, we just got started this past Wednesday, March the 1st, in a 40-day uh, Easter fast. And um, right now, I think we have over 150 people that are participating with us. And so uh, just, I want to encourage you, you know, hang in there. Keep, uh, you know, whatever that is that you've decided to give up, uh, deny yourself something physically so that you could kind of dial in a little bit spiritually and kind of focus on what God might have in store for you. And as you pray for our church and pray for the people that we're reaching out to for Easter Sunday, I uh, just want to encourage you to keep going. Um, however, I do want to share one thing with you, and that is that uh, for those of you who have decided to fast, let's say, like chocolate or sweets or sugar or something like that, next Sunday here at Coastal, um, our cafe ministry, uh, Matt and Kathy Bean let me know that next Sunday they're going to come early and they're baking homemade chocolate chip cookies. And so I know, I know, I know. So, you know, just if, if you gave up sugar or chocolate, I'm sorry, just say, get behind me, Satan, walk right out. Don't, you know, but I'm, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a test next week because the, the smell is just going to waft through the building and uh, it's going to be awesome. So anyway, that's next Sunday. It's a homemade cookie day. So I just figured I'd let you know about that in advance to prepare if you're fasting. Now, uh, by the way, if you haven't signed up to fast on the back of your connect card, you could do that today. And, uh, you know, it really doesn't matter, you know, necessarily if you haven't, if you didn't start, you know, on March the 1st, you can join in uh, at any time. And uh, we'd love for you to do that. And if you sign up for that, we are going to send you uh, some encouraging emails and just little notes of encouragement, maybe a text or two. Uh, We're not going to bombard you, but we would like to encourage you over the next several weeks leading up to Easter. Um, We are in week three of uh, the series, United We Stand, and we're talking about unity. How many of you have heard this statement before? Christians are the only people who shoot their own wounded. You ever heard that? You know, sadly, um, that's what a lot of Christians and a lot of churches are known for, uh, shooting their own wounded. In fact, Galatians 5.15, evidently this has been a trouble, uh, a a thing all throughout history. Uh, Galatians 5.15 says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And the truth is, in a lot of churches today, uh, there's a lot of biting and devouring going on uh, among Christians. Uh, Here is my prayer for our church. Uh, Romans chapter 15, I read this this morning, let me read it again, verses 5 through 7. Follow along. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. So that with one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I like that. You know, may God give you a spirit of unity with one heart and one uh, voice. You would glorify God. Now, that sounds like a pretty lofty goal, right? How in the world do we accomplish that? How do we live out that type of unity? Well, I think at least part of the answer is found in the very next verse where he says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you to bring bring praise to God. The English Standard Version says, therefore, welcome one another. 
as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let me ask you a question. How did Jesus welcome you? I mean, think about that for a second, because he's saying that that is the kind of welcome and acceptance that we are supposed to extend one another. You know, we're to accept one another and welcome one another, just as Jesus welcomed and accepted us. Now, that sounds really good, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds awesome. It sounds beautiful. But how do we actually do that? You know, in the real world, with real people who have different opinions, who get on each other's nerves from time to time, I mean, I really think the miracle of God is how do we, the church, who are many, who are different, who are sinful and selfish, who have you know, different backgrounds, uh, different upbringings, different perspectives, how do we get along? And then what do we do when we disagree? Well, the good news is, if we back it up just one chapter, in other words, what brought him to this point here in Romans 15 about, you know, with one voice and a spirit of unity and one heart, uh, you know, what brought him to that was Romans 14. And there in Romans 14, he just got finished showing us what does that look like in a church where you're dealing with some serious disagreement. Now, let me give you a little bit of context for what was happening uh, here in the 14th chapter of Romans. There were basically two very uh, different, distinct groups of people in the church who were divided, okay? And they were arguing. And they were, they were disagreeing basically over two things, diets and days. Diets and days. You see, the church in Rome had a lot of converted Jews in it, okay? And they had come out of a very strict background with a lot of laws and a lot of rules and regulations that touched on just about every area of their life. You know, what they were to eat, uh, what they would drink, what they would wear, when they worshiped, how they worshiped. There were all kind of rituals and ceremonies that had been built into the very fabric of their life. I mean, it was just a part of their growing up, a part of their culture. And so a disagreement arose about whether or not it was okay for a Christian to eat meat that had been sacrificed or offered to an idol before it got sent to, let's say, Bob the Butcher, okay? Now, one group, these converted Jews, they felt like, well, by eating this type of meat, you basically are spiritually contaminating yourself. You know, you're, you're no longer clean. Now, the second group, the uh, converted Gentile, they had just one big hang-up, the first group, okay? They basically felt like, hey, it doesn't matter. Man, you could eat ribeye whenever you want to, whatever you want, on any day that you want it. Now, I know at first glance, it's easy to read through this and to hear it maybe for the first time, and you might say, Pastor Chris, what in the world does any of this have to do with us today? Well, I hope you'll see really quickly that a lot of Christians today struggle with some of the very principles that are found here in this passage. And, and I don't know that if you've experienced it, but if you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
There are some believers who fall into this thinking that the way they do things and the way they interpret things, that's the right way. And anybody who thinks or does differently, they're wrong. And then they go out of their way to you know, control how other people think and behave, and, and they go beyond that, they judge them according to their own standards. How many of you, no, you don't raise your hand, but you know what I'm talking about. And so my question is, and what I want us to talk about today, is how do we, you know, we're talking about, you know, united we stand. How do we get along with each other? When we might hold some different opinions, when we have a different perspective on something, and when we might even disagree with each other about something. How do we stand united with one heart and one voice, glorifying God without biting each other and devouring each, each other? Well, again, I think the, the key, or at least one of the keys to this, is that next verse in verse 7, in, in, where he uses the word acceptance. And that's what I want to talk about today. How do we accept one another? And I want to talk about some steps toward acceptance, and they spell out the word Accept. It's an acrostic. It's going to spell out the word accept. And I hope and pray today you'll see how these principles apply to us in the church. But I also think this is some good stuff that you could take to apply maybe in the workplace or in your family when disagreements arise. Number one, avoid passing judgment. Avoid passing judgment. Now, again, here in Romans, one group of believers, the Jewish uh, convert, they were still clinging to the law, okay? And they were condemning another group of believers who were enjoying their freedom in Christ. And and basically the answer, Paul basically tells both of them, you ready for this? Chill out, okay? Chill out a little bit. Verse one, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Now the word accept here is interesting. It actually means to embrace intimately into your own life. Okay. In other words, we're not just supposed to put up with each other. We're actually supposed to genuinely and warmly receive each other into our lives for the sake of unity and, and love within the church. And Paul is basically addressing those people who are supposed to be more mature in their faith, and he tells them, stop judging those people who are just at a different place in their faith than you are. You know, we're allow each each other the freedom to hold different convictions that are a little bit different than ours, despite our differences. And, and the key phrase that I want to focus in on is the phrase that he uses, disputable matters. I really think there's actually a lot of disputable matters in the church. There, there are those areas of, you know, I would just say they're gray areas, okay, where we have the freedom to agree to disagree. You know, and, and I'm, by the way, I'm not talking about uh, sin issues here. I'm not talking about moral issues here. In other words, Christian freedom is not the freedom to do wrong. It's not the freedom to sin. A disputable matter is just an honest difference of opinion between believers about how to apply biblical principles in their lives. And Paul's point here is, listen, if God hasn't made this disputable matter a test of fellowship, then you shouldn't either. Look at verse 2. He says, One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Again, he's talking about the Gentile who got saved and feels like he can eat anything. While this Jewish convert, you know, who's been raised again in these Old Testament dietary laws, 
They want to avoid the possibility of ever dishonoring God and eating something you know, that might, be, might have been offered to an idol. But the next verse helps us to see that the real problem had nothing to do with meat. It was an acceptance issue. Listen to this. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. In other words, those who love prime rib look down on the vegetarians and the veggie lovers look down on the meat lovers. The phrase look down on, though, is really strong, and it means to condemn. And, and, and when he uses the word condemn here, he's talking about, you know, it, it's a word that's only reserved for those people who have broken God's law. Basically, what was happening here is both of these people were taking a disputable matter and they turned it into a moral issue. And then in verse three, he says, at the end of it, he says, but God has accepted him. That's the key. Coastal, listen to me for a second. We have grace in the gray areas. Some of you need to hear that loud and clear. We have grace in the gray areas. Since God has accepted both points of view, we shouldn't pass judgment on people who think and behave differently than we do. Verse four makes it clear that we shouldn't take the place of God in somebody's life. It says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. In other words, God's God and you're not. God, you know, he is perfectly capable of directing the lives of people who follow him. Now, Again, you might be sitting here and again, yeah, but Pastor Chris, you know, this doesn't really have anything to do with us. Well, let's, let's bring this down because you're thinking, well, we don't, we're not eating meat today that's been sacrificed to idols. Let's bring it closer to home. I think there are a lot of disputable matters within the church that sometimes people get all worked up about. Okay, and again, I'm not talking about sin issues. I'm not talking about moral issues. What are some of the disputable matters today in the church? Let me give you a few. Music style. You know, contemporary, traditional, liturgical. Uh, drinking alcohol. Again, I'm not talking about drunkenness. I'm just talking about drinking. Some of you grew up in a home, you know, or in an environment or a, even in a, a church where, you know, if you allowed alcohol to touch your lips, it was like the liquid of Satan or something, right? Um, parenting styles. You know, how you raise your kids. Uh, smoking. Discipline styles. How about how you school your children? You know, public, private, private Christian, uh, homeschooling, politics. We talked about that in the first week. Democrat, Republican, you know, style of clothes. You might not realize this, but one requirement to be on the worship team is to wear skinny jeans. No, I'm just Anyway, um, you know, uh, tattoos. What happens, you know, maybe you grew up in a generation where, and even in a church, and, uh, you know, tattoos were evil, and you've marked up your body, and, and uh, you know, your, your kid comes home from college with a, a tattoo. What about this? What about how you and your family, this is big in a, for a lot of people, a lot of churches, uh, how you and your family choose to celebrate uh, certain holidays? Christmas, you ready for this? Here we go. Santa or Satan, Right? I mean, for some of you, it's not, not much difference, right? Red man, red suit, come on, you know, you, know, you got it, right? Um, or this is even worse for a lot of people, Halloween. 
You know, do you trick-or-treat in your neighborhood with good friends that you know and it's a time of community and fellowship? Or for you, is that evil? And uh, instead, you show up in a church parking lot uh, dressed like a Bible character where they pass out candy from a trunk of a car. I mean, tell me that's not creepy. Anyway, um, <laughs> there's a lo- I guess what I'm saying, there's a lot of what I would call these disputable matters. Now remember... You don't have to like it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to listen to it. But don't look down on other people that God has accepted. You're not better than them. They're not better than you. You know, here at Coastal, in our membership class, along with our statement of faith, uh, we have a statement of attitude that we talk about. It's in the essentials, we have unity. Okay, and we talk about those essentials. And there's not many of them. Uh, But we talk about those in our membership class. In the non-essentials, in the gray areas, in the disputable matters, we have liberty or freedom. But in all things, we're going to love one another. We show love. So avoid passing judgment. Number two, commit to live for the Lord alone. You know, I think the best way to, to avoid judging people is for you and I to focus our minds and our hearts on living for Jesus And just to recognize that other people happen to be on different points in their spiritual journey than you are. And and instead, we got to start seeing people as, you know what, we're on the same team. We're just at different places in our journey. We're all growing in grace together. Verse 6 reminds us that none of us has has a corner on, on commitment and stop questioning each other's motives. He says, he who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. In other words, one loves barbecue ribs, the other one loves green beans, but they both eat to the Lord, and they both give thanks to the Lord. And so we got to give each other the benefit of the doubt, because you're not the only one who's dedicated themselves to the Lord. Verse 10 gives us the reason why we shouldn't look down on others. He says, for we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. In other words, when you judge somebody, you're taking over God's role. And again, the last time I checked, God doesn't need your help. I like the way the message translates this passage. Listen to this. Eventually, we're all going to end up kneeling side by side in the place of judgment facing God. Your critical and condescending ways aren't going to improve your position one bit. Have you ever noticed that sometimes the people who are the most critical have the most faults themselves? Anybody know where the expression uh, mind your own beeswax comes from. That's kind of an old school you know, expression. You don't hear it as much, but some of you I'm sure you're familiar with that. Well, actually around the time of the American Revolution, women would spread beeswax all over their face uh, to smooth out their complexion. And so when, when one woman would begin to stare at another woman's face, she was told, hey, mind your own beeswax, okay? So that's where it came from. Now, and then when women would smile, the wax would crack which is where we get the phrase, crack a smile. And then, if they sat too close to a fire, the wax would begin to melt, and that's where we get the the expression, losing face. So some of you need to mind your own beeswax and crack a smile before we lose face with one another, okay? Um, Number three, control yourself in love. Control yourself in love. Verse 13, so therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, Make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or an obstacle in your brother's way. You see, our freedom 
has always got to be restrained or tempered by love. Because our actions and our attitudes do affect other people. Verse 15 is a little more specific. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. In other words, I'm out of bounds if I allow, if I flaunt my freedoms in front of somebody else and it causes them to trip up spiritually. You know, one of the marks of being a mature person is that you know both when and where to restrain your freedom sometimes out of love. You know, picture a a married man by the name of Joe, and uh, he's been taught his entire life that if he ever takes off his wedding ring, he's actually breaking his marriage vow. And uh, this belief about uh, his wedding ring, now a lot of us, we might think that's a little strange, a little odd, but for him, it's a belief that's been passed down, you know, from generation to generation in his family. And so he's never taken off his wedding ring because for him, if he ever did, it'd be like he violated his vows. Now let's imagine for a second that Joe has a friend named Jim over uh, who's never heard of that belief. Okay, and they get together on a Saturday to work on uh, Jim's car. And as they get ready to work on the engine, uh, Jim takes off his wedding ring and he puts it in his pocket so it doesn't get dirty. Now imagine that in Joe's mind, I mean, he freaks out. You know, and you know, now Jim's not even thinking, you know, that this is a problem because to him it has no correlation, you know, for how much he loves his wife. He just doesn't want to get his ring damaged or dirty. See, that, that's kind of what was going on in the minds of the newly converted Jewish believers with these food laws. In their minds, to eat this meat that had been sacrificed to an idol before it was sent to the butcher, it violated their vows. It seared their, uh, it, it, it hurt their conscience. And so when they saw these other believers munching on T-bones, they, not only were they shocked and appalled, but they were angry. Because to them it meant that they were being unfaithful to God. Now, go back to Joe and Jim for a second. Imagine, though, that Jim pressures Joe to take his ring off. And he even begins to poke fun of him a little bit and, you know, make, make light of him. You know, he's the butt of jokes. And, and uh, so Joe kind of, he gives into the pressure and he takes it off. But in his heart and in his conscience, he feels like he's been unfaithful to his wife. He feels like he's, he broke his vow. And then he goes home and he feels guilty because for the first time in his life, he feels like he crossed a line. You see, what Paul is telling us here is that if you really do love one another and you're pursuing this loving relationship within the church, within the family of God, then you're at least going to think about how your freedoms affect somebody else's spiritual growth. You see, once Jim knows about Joe's belief, I think out of love, he keep his ring on. At least when he's with Joe. Verse 16, don't allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. You see, what I, want you to, what I want you to see today is that when it comes down to it, it's really not about eating meat or not eating meat, or Halloween or no Halloween, or taking a ring off or wearing it, or, or drinking or not drinking, or contemporary music or hymns. For the kingdom of God, according to verse 17, it's not a matter of all this stuff. It's not a matter of eating or drinking. But listen, it's a matter of righteousness and peace 
and joy in the Holy Spirit. So for those of you who are more mature, you're not supposed to, we're not supposed to flaunt our personal freedoms in front of other people who are just at a different place in their journey. Instead, we're to, we're to focus on what really matters, and that leads us to number four, we're to edify everyone we can. We're to build them up. Verse 19, therefore, let's make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. The word edify there is a construction term. And it talks about you know, this process of, of making the building stronger. The word destroy is the opposite in verse 20 where it says, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food in and of itself is clean, but it's wrong for a man to eat anything that causes somebody else to stumble. In other words, he's basically just asking us this. Listen, do you really care about other people? Are you trying to build people up or tear them down? And he's, he's challenging us, the church. The church ought to be a place where we are builders instead of destroyers. And if that means that you restrain your freedom a little bit and you pull back a little bit for the sake of somebody else who's in a different place, then that's what you do. You see, do you love people more than you love being right? The question is not, can I do this? But if I do this, and if I do it now and here in this place and this time, what kind of effect does it have on other people? Am I building people up or am I destroying them? You see, the problem is the world on the outside looks at a lot of churches and a lot of believers, and you know what they're seeing? They're seeing us bite and devour and tear down. And why in the world would they ever want to be a part of something like that? Which leads me to number five. Sometimes... You need to personalize your convictions privately. You need to keep them privately. You know, there are certain truths that I think all believers do accept and we unite together. Those are those essentials. They're explicitly taught in Scripture. However, I think sometimes some of you feel like you've got to tell everybody everything you've decided about every disputable topic. Actually, according to verse 22, the wise person knows when to keep some things to themselves. You don't have to share everything with everybody. He says, so whatever you believe about these things, keep them between yourself and who? God. In other words, sometimes, you know what? Your personal convictions, they're meant to be personal. You don't have to share them with everybody. You don't have to put them on Facebook, everything you believe about everything. I mean, if God meant them for everyone, he would have included it in the Bible, but he didn't. Maybe that's for you personally. And sometimes it ought to stay that way. And finally, number six, we ought to treasure people like Jesus does. This is, this is what it all comes down to. Chapter 15 begins with this call for you and I. Man, we gotta be a little bit more like Jesus when we're dealing with people in the family of God. He says, we who are strong, we ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now listen to this. For even Christ didn't please himself. In other words, that sounds very much like Philippians 2.3 where we're to put other people ahead of ourselves like Jesus. It says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. You know, you've, you've heard the phrase, um, love is blind. You heard that, love is blind? What idiot made up that? Love is not blind. I mean, in, in love, love has its eyes wide open. I mean, tr true love, real love, 
has its eyes wide open. You are fully aware of the flaws and the failings and the weaknesses of people. But love covers them. Love bears them. Love helps bring to maturity. That's what love does. Love treasures people the way Jesus does. Drop down to verse seven. Listen to it one more time. So then, accept one another just as what? Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Listen, Jesus accepts you unconditionally. Now, he loves you too much to let you stay that way, but he accepts you as you are. You come to him as you are. You are accepted. I'm convinced that some of you have a very difficult time accepting other people um, and getting along with other people because you've not learned to accept yourself. And you just feel like you are so unworthy because of things you've done, places you've been, things you've left undone. And as a result of that, you feel like you could never, ever be forgiven. And so you struggle with accepting other people. You know, maybe you you were brought up in an, an environment where... You know, when you think about Christianity or faith, it's really for you, it's, it's religion in the sense of you have this long list of, of do's and don'ts and, you know, what you should do and what you shouldn't do. And, and you feel like it, that's the only way that you could be acceptable to God. And so since you could never live up to the list and you keep falling short, it, left, it led to rebellion and rejection, you know, of, of God and, and, and yourself. You know, I heard a story, an interesting story about a guy uh, who took his last college exam in his logic class, okay? The professor uh, of this class was known for giving really, really tough exams. And so his students were really nervous because, man, his standards were so high and and almost impossible uh, to meet. Well, on this particular exam, the professor decided, again, this is a logic class, that he was going to make one concession. He told them that they could bring as much information as they could fit on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. Okay? So the students came, you know, with a sheet of paper and they crammed as much, I mean, as many notes and formulas on their sheets of paper as they could and they all nervously began to take their exam. Except for one student who came in accompanied by an elderly gentleman who had his PhD in logic. And he pulled out his sheet of paper and he put it on the floor next to his desk and he had this brilliant scholar stand on the piece of paper next to him on his desk. And again, logic class, right? And so the student was told everything that he needed to know and he made an A on his final exam. Friends, your final exam is only going to have one question on it. Why should I let you into my heaven? And when it comes time for judgment, let me tell you something. It's not going to do any good for you to cram all your good deeds, all your good works onto a piece of paper because the only way you're ever going to be accepted 
is if you accept the only one who's passed the test and he stands in your place. And some of you need to hear this loud and clear. Jesus has accepted you. And he loves you. And he loves you just the way you are. And I think some of you struggle with accepting others because you've not yet accepted yourself and allowed Jesus to accept you. John 1.12 says this, listen to this. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. See, Jesus is waiting on you to accept him by receiving him, by believing in him. And once you do that, once you accept him, then you're able to accept yourself and you're able to accept other people. And I think sometimes the challenge for believers, the challenge for churches, is to be overwhelmed with the love and the acceptance of God in Christ. And once you understand that, once you get a a handle on that, we're able to, out of the overflow of that, to accept and love other people. And when a church does that together, man, that's a beautiful thing. Let me ask you, some of you, are you ready to do that now? You know, for some of you, this is what, this is your next step. You've never yet personally accepted Jesus Christ into your life. You can do that today. You can believe in him. You can receive him and accept him into your life by faith. It is as beautiful and yet as simple as a prayer. It's a, it's a time of confession, a time of repentance, a time of coming to Christ, coming back home, and God loves you and he accepts you as you are and he's ready to welcome you into his family. But you've got to come by faith. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.